Matthew chapter 7. Can I take off my jacket? <laughs> Thank you. I like that word, freedom. I am free, my friend. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. And this morning is a very simple message. I just want to speak to us this morning. Being proof producers. Matthew chapter 7. Proof. P-R-O-O-F. Proof producers. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. And done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Another translation says, you who work iniquity. Now let me read that same passage to you from Pastor Shino's translation. <laughs> of which this morning when I came to prayer, I was very shocked that he was praying and using the Amplified. I said, what happened? Pastor Shina's translation. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. That is the message translation. There you go. It's there. Notice what it says. Knowing the correct password. Saying master, master, for instance. Isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills. I can say it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Now this next one, really, I, I, was, I laugh when I read this one. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I hope not the one in Burma. <laughs> and do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You are out of here. <laughs> this, this is too much, man. It is too much. But there you have it. Now, as I was waiting for my flight, I believe it was yesterday, in Amsterdam, at the, at the Amsterdam airport, they kept on making this announcement, on and on and on. The announcement went like this. There are thieves operating in this room. Watch your personal belongings, your pocketbook, your briefcases, your wallets. So the first time, I ignored it. Five more minutes later, here it comes again. There are thieves operating in this room. Ah, and it went on and on. So by the time they've made an announcement five times, I look at who are in the room. My brother Kule is in the room. My wife is in the room. I'm in the room. There are about three other. I said, what a minute. Which one of us are thieves? <laughs> So finally, I got the attention of one of the uh, airport employees. I said, I'm hearing this announcement. Are you guys saying in this room, as we are in this room presently, there are thieves? She said, well, maybe not quite like that. But at the point they're trying to get across is that in the premises, perhaps in their entire airport facilities, that are thieves and that they really do operate. And then she went on to tell us, tell us a story about a young man traveling from the city to the airport on the train. Had a luggage, hand luggage, and a bag. And someone on the train, upon arrival at the airport, as he was exiting the train, offered to help him because he had much stuff to carry. 
When the guy gave his luggage to the guy to help him, the guy took off. With the luggage, the bag, and handbag, the guy just disappeared. Until this day, they never found him. Gone. Now, a few years ago, I think Sister Patricia will remember this. I was on a trip to a national mansion, and I got a frank phone call in the U.S. side because my American Express card had been fraudulently charged with an amount close to seventy thousand U.S. dollars by someone who just went on a shopping spree in Paris, France. Patrice had to write letters to Amex to help clear that mess up in time. But it happened. It happened. Now, I'm saying leading to the body of this message, and that's simply to say, from what we just read in a message translation, there are individuals who may have the correct password to your bank account, email account, Facebook account, or whatever other account you may have. Like the thieves that were being announced in Amsterdam. Or like the man or woman who fraudulently charged to my Amex $70,000. The fact that they have the correct password does not make them the legitimate owner of whatever they have. So in this passage, again in Matthew chapter 7, beginning from verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Then he goes on to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I will not prophesied in your name. Cast out demons in your name. And done many wonders in your name. The operative word there is the word done. In fact, in that verse 22, you look at it again. They will say, what would they say? We prophesied. We cast out demons. And we done wonders in your name. So the calling card for these folks in verse 21, for these people who say, Lord, Lord, and call the name of God and use his name as a password, their CV or their, what do you guys call it? Other than CV. Their, thank you very much. Their resume is not so much so in their relationship with God but in what they have done for God. And the message transition says, Jesus said, you know what? I'm not the least bit impressed by what you do. Hello? I am speaking this morning on proof producers. But Jesus says to us very clearly, he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, let's begin to unpack this message. First of all, in order for me and you to really understand what Jesus is about here, we must understand how God relates to us today. You need to understand that. We cannot say it enough. If you are continuing to try to relate to God based on what used to be, you will not be as successful. You're going to find yourself in frustration, condemnation, guilt, and you're going to be very, very sad. We have got to understand how God relates to us as a church today. How does he relate to us? Under the old covenant law, God related to the people on the basis of their works. What they did. Their obedience to the commandments and to the instructions that God gave. How well they obeyed those things determined how far they got with God 
under the old covenant law. However, under grace, the covenant of grace, please hear me this morning, God does not relate to you and I, or does not want me and you to relate to him on the basis of what I do or can do, or on the basis of what I do not do, he only relates today on the basis of what Jesus has already done. The beauty of this is totally, completely freeing. No human being that's ever lived could fulfill the law except Jesus. He was the only perfect one. And he said to us in Matthew chapter 5 that every title and jet of the law must be fulfilled. You know why I like this song we just sang about Jesus loves me? I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. The reason I love this song so much is that when Jesus fulfilled that law perfectly in perfect complete obedience you know what God decided to do God looked through the eyes of time and saw Bank Akimola and said Bank under the old covenant law there is no way you could not do enough you could never no matter how many laws we gave you there was no way you could fulfill them all So what I have done is, when my son Jesus obeyed the law perfectly, fulfilled it, God now, because of my relationship with Jesus, imputes to me, gives me credit for Jesus' perfect obedience to that law. Therefore, under grace, God is not looking to relate to me on based on what I can do or cannot do. He relates to me based on what his son, Jesus, has already done. Huge difference. Completely, totally new paradigm shift on how to worship and relate to God. Why is this important? Because if you don't get this right, you will never be able to produce proof. The enemy will always tell you, you are not good enough. The enemy will always tell you, you don't measure up enough. The enemy will always find a new standard to bring to bear in your situation and say, for this reason, you can't attend to this. The enemy will wear you out with a performance-based mentality because the truth is no human being has ever been able to perform adequately enough to meet God's standard. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. So, so Jesus opens up and says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter to the kingdom of heaven, but him who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, as I move on here, it is very important for me and you to understand that the work of grace is not trying to please God from the outside in. Okay, let me say that again. You see, under the law, my performance, the offering I bring, the times I go to the temple, and all the other things I do, doing, I'm doing it from the outside. All the things I do externally determines how I relate to God. Under grace, we are not trying to work from the outside in. Under grace, what God is doing is working inside of you. And it is what he has done inside of you that you work out. Do you see the difference? Now, this is what's okay. This is what's okay. God is not saying to me to work something in that is not worked into me already. The Bible said in the book of Philippians, it is God who's at work in me, inside of me, but to do and but to will and to do of his good pleasure. He knows what pleases him. I have never been to heaven. 
neither have you. So he, God, packages himself in your inside. Oh my God. Christ in you becomes the hope of glory. So he works it in you. After having worked it in you, he's that deposit in you. After you've received it in you, now you can work it out. He's not asking you to work something out of which is not already placed the seed in you. Therefore, under grace, Jesus becomes the singular central figure. Jesus plus nothing. You don't need to add anything to him. You don't need to take anything away from him. You get Jesus, you get all of it. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what makes this message so interesting. We are not preaching a message about Paul and Moses and Abraham. No, they are great men in their own right. But they pale in comparison to this Jesus. This man of God, this son of God, who brought a new dimension of God's love to bear in our situation. So under this covenant, it is Jesus, 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 all by himself. Now, let's move on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father. My goodness, who is Jesus talking to? Who is he referring to? Because notice, he never denied that he prophesied. And he did not deny that he cast out devils. He did not deny that they knew the master key, the password. They said, Lord, Lord. He didn't deny any of that. They have the lingo down to the T. If you will, they have the Christianese. You know the language you speak in church? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, Amen. God is wonderful. I'm blessed. They have the language down to the T. They know what to say. You're talking about situational ethics. They know it. But he says to them, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's move forward. Who is he talking about? You read in verse 15 of that same passage. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 15. It begins to identify them. Beware of false prophets who come to you, what? Sheep's clothing. Ha! Look at grace. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Not outwardly. They know the right things to say. They wear the right clothing. On the outside, externally, they look like they are just right on sent from heaven. But inwardly, within them, I have not done a work. I have not placed my seed in them. Inwardly, they are empty. Beware. So who are these people that Jesus is talking about in verse 21 and 22? He identified them in verse 15. Who are they called? False prophets. The reason the church is so confused about our redemption, salvation. There are too many people that come in sheep's clothing. They have the right language. But in their heart, inwardly, a work has not been done. And to make matters worse, they deliver some goods. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. Bible is full of it. At the Egyptian court with Pharaoh, when Moses threw his rod down and a serpent came out, what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh said, Abba, Moses, you don't have the corner on this thing. 
in Egypt. We also manufacture miracles. <laughs> we can do it. His magician threw their rod down. Bang! Became snake. And he took the snake of Moses to swallow their snake. And on and on and on. He went like that in Egypt. So much escalation of power demonstration. Both from God and from the power of darkness. Amen? The Bible talks in Second Timothy, I believe it is, of giants and jambri. Men that opposed Moses in Egypt. Are we going to talk about Acts chapter 8? About Simon the sorcerer. Which the Bible identified for us. Who the Bible says bewitched the people. He delivered some goods. They had some goods. And he took the power of God. To deliver them from that darkness. But the point here is. Not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord. Jesus says shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But him that does the will of my father. So number one in this passage. These workers of lawlessness or workers of iniquity. Number one you must know. Number one they are not believers. They are not. I don't care how much goods they bring to the table. They are not believers. But they have the language of Christianese. They use Lord, Lord. They dress in sheep's clothing. They appear like believers. Talk believers talk. But Jesus said, depart from me. Watch this. Jesus did not say, you never knew me. No, that's not what he said. He said, ah, Jesus never knew you. You may have gone to church and testified about how born again you are, how saved you've been, how sanctified you are. You may have testified, you may have written books about your salvation, but I want it to be known and recorded. From day one, I never knew you. This is important because the reason we are so we are so timid, the reason we can't produce proof is because the enemy tries to sidetrack us. So that's number one. They are not believers. Now, number two point I want to make here. And I know for you guys, some of you guys that came across the pond, I don't think I have to really twist your mind to believe that supernatural happens in many other realms other than in church. Many of you here, back in those days when you're doing an exam, your, your face will be printed with, with all kinds of uh, powder. So you can see answers in the, on the blackboard. When your friends are studying their books at home, you are at the Habali's house. Hello? Nobody's here hears like that. Thank God. Nobody here ever did that. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Amen. <laughs> Let me move on. Number two point we need to make here. Believers are never referred to as workers of lawlessness or iniquity. That's not your portion. Thank you. Two amens here. The rest of you, we don't know where you are. <laughs> Believers are not referred to as workers of lawlessness or iniquity. No. No. And you need to understand what happened to you when you were born again. Because that understanding will change the way you see your world. Okay, let's unpack this very quickly. Why are believers not referred to as workers of lawlessness, lawlessness or workers of iniquity? Why? Why? You need to settle this. Number one, we are dead to sin. No, your head is saying, ah, but pastor, what do you mean? I just lied yesterday. I know, I know you're thinking like that, but I'll help you in a minute. The Bible says you are dead to sin. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, my old man 
has been crucified with Christ. It's not going to happen. It already happened. Done deal. My old man has been crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live. He said, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Ha! Who loved me? That's why I love that love message. He loved me so much. He gave his life for me and completed the transaction. Now, I'm going to show you something in a minute that hopefully will help the light to go off in you. We're dead to sin. He said, but pastor, what do you mean by that? Very simple. You bring a casket, a dead man here. Bring, roll in a casket of a dead man who was a drunkard or smoked weed. In that casket, if you put scotch next to the man, can he drink it? No way. Are you sure? Yeah, if you roll weed, Columbia weed, and roll it and put it in his lips, can he smoke it? Why? He's dead. He's dead. I'm not saying this. This is not me making this up. That's what the Bible says. Okay, let's go to another scripture. Romans chapter 6. This will help us because we need to become proof producers. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 1. Romans 6 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And absolutely, let me emphasize that again. No one here, no one, no one here is advocating for a lifestyle of permissiveness, recklessness, and sinfulness. Absolutely not. Because anyone that understands what God has done will will know that for you to submit yourself to that, you've become, you've gone back to your own vomit. Wasn't a dog to do that. Amen? So like Paul said, certainly not. But look at what it says. How shall we who died pastors, is there any English scholar here? Miss Lillian Baba, did you teach English? How shall we who died Listen to yes, Who died? What does that mean? Past tense. Past tense. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So the question is, did you die to it or not? Are you a false prophet or a true prophet? Are you just wearing the sheepskin or do you really possess it? Did you hear that? Yes. You are dead to sin if you are born again. If, if, if you are born again. But if you are just parading the language, wearing the clothes, speaking the lingo, and you are not born again, then definitely sin owns you. But you can get out today. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to live that lifestyle. You don't have to stay in that same way. Jesus has come to set you free. Accept your freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one, the reason believers are not called workers of lawlessness or workers of iniquity is because you are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. Now, I know you are thinking, okay, Pastor, my, my human experience does not justify that. I hear you and I'm going to address that in a minute. Number two reason why believers can never be referred to as workers of lawlessness or iniquity. Number two reason. Romans chapter 10 verse 4. Give it to me please. Romans 10 4. It simply says for Christ Hey, this is why Jesus is just. This, this is why is the centrality of this new covenant. Not Moses, not Isaiah. They were great men. Not Jeremiah. Great men. Nehemiah, great men. But they pale. They pale in comparison. Look at this. For Christ is the end 
of the law for righteousness to how many people? No, 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 no. To how many people? Who does what? Ah. To everyone who prophesies? Believes. Is the end. What does the end mean? Look at this wall. Let's see. End of the wall. End. Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness. For righteousness. To everyone who believes. Why is this important? Why is this important? It's absolutely critically important. Let me show you one more verse before I explain it. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 15. Ha! Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let me start from verse 14. Romans 4, 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. And the promise made of no effect. Do you see that? But look at verse 15. Because the law brings about what? Wrath. Look at the next sentence. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Ah. I don't think you understood what I just read. If you understood it, you should be jumping up to the ceiling. First of all, the Bible says Christ is the end of the law. When he came, the law stopped. Why? Is it because he's a rebel? No, because he fulfilled it. He's fulfilled it. And every one of us that joins to him, God imputes his obedience to you. That's number one. But then number two, the Bible says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Do you understand what I just said? No, 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 no. Let, 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 let me explain to you. Let me bring it home to you. In on R85, a few years ago in that interstate, the speed limit was 55 miles an hour. The politicians got together and changed the law and said, now nah, we can drive about 70 miles an hour. If you want to live under the old law, 55 miles an hour is your cap. You're still driving, but you're slow. Because the law has been changed. Some of us that have heavy feet, we cannot press harder on that gas pedal and go at 70 miles an hour. Why? Because where there is no law, there can be no transgression. Police cannot stop me for driving at 65, 70 miles an hour because there's no law against that. Ten years ago, if you drove 70 miles an hour, you got a ticket. That was the law. Today, in 2015, you drive 70 miles an hour, you're welcome. Good driving. Keep on going. Hallelujah! Oh, glory to God. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. The Bible already said to me, Christ is the end of the law. For what law will I be judged? Is the end of it. I am not preaching human wisdom. I'm showing you the Bible. Now, does that mean I can live carelessly and do whatever? No. No. Why? Because it is him that is at work in me. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If I'm inside. If, 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 if I'm born again. That I'm misbehaving. It's a, it's a good proof that I'm not born again. I don't care what you're saying. You can't spoil this for us. Jesus paid the price in full for our deliverance, for our redemption, for our salvation. He took. Hallelujah.
Number one, we are dead to sin. Number two, Christ is the end of the law. For those of us that are still wondering, I have one more to give you. This one comes from the old book. To show you how incredible God is. From the beginning, he knew where he was going. Grace did not ambush God. Grace was on his mind from Genesis 1.1. He was just waiting for me and you to be ready to receive it. It's not a new thing. It's always been. We are all continuing to be. Now, Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus. <laughs> now, I don't have time to go into all the details, but I'll give you enough for you, for you to understand what I'm saying. Israel had three major feasts. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. In Leviticus 16, the passage we want to read describes the feast of the great day atonement. That is the holiest day to this day in Israel. They all understood what the day meant. This was the one day a year when God totally, completely expunged the sin of Israel. They all understood that. So they eagerly prepared, diligently, looking in anticipation, expectation of what we're about to do. So they don't play with the great day of atonement. Now, Leviticus 16. Let's read what happens. Verse 8. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. For the two what? For the two what? Two goats. Number one, do you understand what a goat symbolizes in the Bible? Evil. Sin. It talks about the sheep and the goats. If the Bible calls you a goat, it's not a good thing. (laughs) It's not a good thing. But God, specifically for this offering, said he wants two goats. Let's read on. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as what? A sin offering. So you know what that is. Remember 2 Corinthians 5 21? God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Him who knew no sin. Why? That we may become the righteousness of God in him. So right here, who are you looking at? Jesus. Thank you, ma. Abba, she came from Nigeria to You guys don't do So Leviticus chapter 8, chapter 16, verse 8. This is Jesus. Sin offering. Verse 10. But the God on which the Lord fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented what? Ah. It shall be presented what? Thank you very much. Before who? To make what? Upon it and to let it go as the, the, the definite article as the scapegoat into the wilderness. Now jump with me to verse 21. Same chapter, verse 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins. Put them on the head of the goat. Then what is he going to do with it? And send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. My God. The King James says, by the hand of a fit man. 
So, for this sin offering, two goats were presented. Now, I'm breaking it down now. Two goats. The first goat was offered, killed, killed, dead before God. What does that represent? You see, what we need to understand about our salvation, Jesus did two unique things concerning sin. Number one, he killed, annihilated, crucified, that compelling power that makes me and you sin. It's called the sin nature. That's what Paul was referring to when he said, my old man is crucified. He was not talking about his father or his grandfather. My old man. It's not, it's not his father. It's, it's, not, it's not a genealogical, oh, my, my grandfather in Africa. He's like, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. My old man, meaning my old sinful nature. That thing that was in me that compelled me that told me I had to lie, I had to fornicate, I had to commit adultery, I have to steal. That nature, that nature, there was something that made a man do what he did. God has never sent anybody to hell because of the commission or the acts of their behavior or sin. They went to hell because of the nature that was in them. Because whether you yielded to that nature or not, it was in you. That's why a dog barks. That's why a fish swims. It is the nature. It is in them. And that's why a child that's born in a hospital today already is condemned as a sinner. Why? Because that nature was what was born with. Not because of any acts they've committed. What has a child done to deserve hell? It's the nature in them. So the first thing Jesus did, he killed that thing. That old man healed. Notice, notice please, don't make a mistake. He did not remodify it. He did not send that nature to 7A or triple A or whatever they're going. No, 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 no. He is not sending that nature to to behavior modification. You cannot modify the old sinful nature. You can't. You can only kill it. You can't. There's only one place that can take care of that nature. Death. So, when Jesus went to the cross, dealt with the power of sin, he killed it. So, when you became born again, that old power of sin that compelled you and I to do its bidding was totally, completely killed and replaced with the nature of God. Listen, a third of you right this moment is 100% Holy Ghost. One third of who you are is totally completely 100% Holy Ghost. That's why Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he did not say, you are a modified creation. He did not say, you are a better behaving creation. If any man be in Christ, it's a new, new, new creation. We have never seen this kind of person before. It's a new creation. Don't judge me by what I used to be. No, no, no. You don't know who you're looking at. Hallelujah. And you are looking at a new creation. A new man in Christ Jesus. No man should ever judge you by the flesh. No, you're a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he dealt with the power of sin. But as good as that was, God said, that's not, that's, not, that's not finished. Because even though there's a power of sin that must be addressed, but there's also a penalty of sin. He's not letting us get away for sinning. No. Somebody must pay the price for it. And for those who are not born again, unbelievers, the law is still in force. Yes. I need to make that distinction. The law is, the, the, the abolition of the law is only for believers. 
But if you're an unbeliever, there is one message you need to hear. The law. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall die. Amen. Because if you don't understand the law, you will not appreciate grace. Yeah. So for unbelievers, they must hear the law. That's why Jesus all through his ministry preached both the law and grace. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the penalty of sin. In Leviticus chapter 16, in that verse 21, Aaron brought the live goat, laid hands on it, and confessed all the sins and the transgressions of Israel. Dealing now the, the God that was killed dealt with the nature of sin. The God that is alive deals with the acts of sin. Oh my God. Now what did he do with this? He confessed all of it on it. Notice. God is aware that sin is alive. So he did not kill this goat because he understands that we are still sinning. We are still missing the mark. We are still making mistakes. So he calls this goat a live goat. But the only distinction is he had to find a man that was fitting. That was fit means timely and ready. My Bible tells me there was only one man that was timely for Jesus. The Bible tells us when the fullness of the time was come. Oh my God. God brought forth a son made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. There was only one fit man that can take the goat. And we're told he took the goat into the wilderness never to return. In one sacrifice, he dealt with the power of sin and the penalty. You know what's amazing? We just read that the good was sent away. In the New Testament, if you ever find a vine's expositional, expositionary dictionary of New Testament words, the word forgiveness is the same word as sent away. Check it out yourself. What am I saying to you? Not only did God take care of the nature of sin that we were born with, when we became born again, he also took care of the penalty and is well aware that sin still lives. Not because the nature is in us, because our mind still has the residue and the memory of the things it used to do for the nature of sin that was in us. And in order to get rid of those things, and you should, you have to renew your mind continually. It's like a computer. You do some things on the computer, you go away, forensic expert can go back on the computer and find all the things you did. Why? It's there. You did it. What am I saying to you? And I don't have time to get into this now because this is not the purpose of this message. I need to move on to finish. But we'll come back and address that shortly. You need to understand what happened to you. All desires and the promptings you are getting right now to do this and do that, that is not God, is not coming from you. It's not. These things had been there in your memory. This was the way your mind used to think. And even though your nature has changed, your mind is still saying, let's do what we used to do. So once you know that this is not you speaking, why? Because the new you is God. Once you know that and really truly believe that and know that, you speak back to that thing. Come on, man. Shut up. We used to do that. This is a new me. I'm not going back there with you. You start speaking like that. 
Start commanding. Start using the command you carry. Start using it and see what happens to you. I'm telling you, you begin to walk in your new creation reality. Why? Because it is true. It is true. So let me leave that alone. So you know now three reasons why you as a believer do not sin. Practice sinning. Continually, habitually sin. Now does that mean you don't fall? You don't make mistakes? You don't sin? No, it doesn't make sense. You do. You do. You do. But God never looks at you based on that. Remember, under the new covenant, it's about what Jesus did. And because you abide in Jesus, automatically, you receive credit. Not because of what you did. And the opposite is also true. If I'm doing certain things, I cannot use what I'm doing as a bragging right to God. He's not impressed. He's only impressed with what one person did, Jesus. So if you're going to brag, brag on him. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Ah, let me move on. Time. Okay. What is the will of God? I've addressed lawless workers. Okay. They're not born again. I've addressed to you napkin. I've addressed to you the believers are not workers of iniquity or lawlessness. Okay? But he says, many that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But him, or those that does the will of my Father in heaven. What then is the will of the Father? Obviously, whatever this will of the Father is, has nothing to do, hear me, and I know this is going to rub some rough edges. It has nothing to do with how you obey the instruction to fast or to witness or to give. It has nothing to do with how you disobeyed it either. Ooh. Why? Because if it did, you are back to your salvation with works. We are saved by what? Grace through faith and not of works. Lest any man should boast. God don't want to hear your boasting at all. There's only one boasting that's allowed. Jesus. Finish. So the will of the father has nothing to do. If he did, Jesus will not condemn this man. They prophesied. That's a good thing. They, they cast out demons. That's a good thing. Say, depart from me. I do not know you. <laughs> what is the will of the Father? Let's break it down. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Ah, is it just me? It's hot in this place. You feel hot too? I- I'm thinking one of these days I'll win that argument. I keep on trying. One of these days I have grace to win that argument. John chapter 6. Ah, no, 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 no. Verse 28. What is the will of the Father? The only singular thing that moves Jesus. That's it. Doing the will of the Father. Only singular thing. It's not things. Singular. Verse 29. No, verse 28. Thank you. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Simple. It's not what you do for him. It's the action of faith you take. Now, let's read one more verse. Verse 40, in fact, we read many more verses. Verse 40, the same chapter. Verse 40. And this is the will 
of him who sent me. What is his will? That everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Believe. It's not asking to do many more things. Just believe. Ah, okay. I know, I know, I know. Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. It's so simple, it's stupid. Acts 13. Now, this will make sense to you. Acts 13. When he had removed him, talking about King Saul, he raised up for them, David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, comma, who will do all my will. So, by the definition or looking through the covenant of grace lens, what did David do for God to say he did all his will? Is sleeping with Bathsheba the will of God? How many of you here have slept with Bathsheba? Don't let me see your hands. Did killing Uriah the Hittite was that will of God? So how can God with credibility and integrity come and tell me and you years later that David has his heart and did all his will? Because if David did not do his will, then God lied. Because there's only one thing that pleases God. His will. But among the will of God, of which we are talking, it has nothing to do with how many people David won in battle. Because if that, if that was the case, Joshua should get the more credence. Or Moses. Those guys went to war, won many battles. No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. We've talked about this before. But maybe we need to remind ourselves. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Number one, David had confidence in God's unfailing love for him. Go to Psalm 13 in NIV. Psalm 13 in NIV, verse 5. Psalm 13, verse 5, NIV translation. Psalm 13, verse 5. Thank you. Look at what it says. But at first, in your what? When I'm down in the pit, David, I trust in your unfailing love. When I'm being chased all over the place, I trust in your unfailing love. When I don't know how my victory will come, I'm not trusting how much I can fight in how much I know about war. There's one thing I know will never fail. Your love for me. Psalm 52. NIV still. NIV still. Psalm 52 verse 8. NIV still. But I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. Why? Why am I flourishing? Because I trust in God's unfailing love for just today? Oh, not just for tomorrow? For just next month only? Forever and ever. Is that your case? Do you unfailingly, regardless of where you find yourself, tell yourself that love of God cannot fail in my situation? It can never fail. Let me read one. It's Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Hey, hey, look at this. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Hey, hey. My cup runs over. You know what caught my attention there? 
He said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. So, for some of us, we are focusing on the enemy. David, what is the heat of the battle? He's seen the enemy, but he's seen beyond. Yes, I'm in the enemy's nest. I'm in the enemy's territory. But God, beyond my enemies, I'm seeing your provision. You're preparing a table. Something grandeur. Something of largesse. Something significant. Something magnificent. You are preparing a table before me. Let my enemies watch and watch me prosper. Let my enemies watch and see me thrive. Let my enemies see my God move in my situation. Yes, I don't want to do it in secret. I want to have my enemies. Enemies, come and watch. Come and watch the wonder that God is doing. Come and watch the wonder of Jesus. Hey! Hallelujah! You prepare the table. Not in the back room. No, 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 no. The enemy wants to shame me publicly. God, you have prepared a table. Every table. My God, abundant table. Exceedingly, abundantly. Ha! Are there any watchers? Come and see God's wonder boy. Come and see God's miracle. Come and see God's abundance. Come and see God's amazing grace. Come and see God's love. Come and see what the Lord has done. Hey! Come and see how God has put a swagger in my feet. My God! You try to destroy me. You are just preparing me. Hallelujah! Could God ever say, David is a man of my heart who will do all of my will? Because David understood more than anybody else in his generation the love of God. It doesn't fail. It didn't fail, David. It will not fail you. I don't care what the enemies bring against you, you will succeed. You will make progress. You will thrive. You will prosper. You will be whole. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah! Oh, glory! <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, my God! You bring the proof. You'll be the proof of God's goodness. You'll be manifestation of God's goodness. You'll be the manifestation of His grace. Hallelujah! Yes! It will happen to you. Because, like David, you believe in God's unfailing love. Last thing about David, and it's obvious I can't finish this message. One last thing about David. In First Samuel chapter seventeen, First Samuel seventeen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. First Samuel seventeen. Look at verse thirty-seven. Let's start from verse 36. First Samuel 17, verse 36. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of of this Philistine. What is Paul saying? What's David saying? Notice what he said. Even though I fought the bear, I didn't do it. God did it. New covenant. It's not what you do, it's what God has done. David said, Yes, God delivered the lion to me and the bear. I'm not taking credit for it. God did it. The God that did that is the same God that will do this. And even in your case, I'm telling you this afternoon, the God of your fathers, who has not let your fathers down, the same God that brought deliverance from them when they needed it, is the same God that will bring your deliverance. In the name of Jesus, we receive it now. 
you will produce proof that God is alive and well. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, let your grace arise and command your destiny with what you carry in your mouth. You carry the words of God. Command ye him concerning the work of his creation. In the name of Jesus, stand to your feet and bless him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted. Oh, yeah. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within because you died and rose again I'm forgiven, oh yes I'm forgiven Because you were forsaken Oh, I'm accepted, yeah. I'm accepted You were condemned You were condemned See, I'm alive and well I'm alive and Your well spirit Spirit is within me because you died. Because you, you died. Hey, amazing love, amazing love, amazing love. How can it be? How can it be? Because you, my king, you, my king, will die for me. Amazing love